0: If you know anything about me, you know I'm obsessed with my pets. My rescue dog, Gracie, has been through it all. I found her abandoned in a desert and she soon surprised me with eight puppies and then was diagnosed and thankfully recovered from a rare cancer. I absolutely want to make sure the rest of her life is as happy and healthy as possible, which is why I feed her the farmer's dog dog food. I wouldn't eat processed food for every meal and expect myself to be healthy, but yet highly processed kibble is sold to us as healthy options for our dogs. Instead, I feed Gracie and encourage you to feed your dogs the Farmer's Dog. It's real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies, gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve its nutritional value. It's so simple to get started with the Farmer's Dog. Just fill out a quick quiz online, and all your dog's meals arrive in pre-portioned, vet-developed recipes for as little as $3 per day. Gracie's food arrives in pre-portioned, ready-to-serve packs, and because they're delivered on my schedule, I know I will never run out. Dog owners and lovers all across the country have ordered millions of meals from The Farmer's Dog. It's truly never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy dog food at thefarmer'sdog.com/slash-a-case-of-the-sunday-scaries. Plus, with our code, you actually are going to get free shipping. Just go to thefarmer'sdog.com/slash-a-case-of-the-sunday-scaries to get 50% off and free shipping. Again, that's thefarmersdog.com slash a case of the Sunday Scaries. Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie.
1: And we are back. Did you get to watch the Dateline episode? No, and I am so excited for it. I'm that's my plan today. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna watch it too. For those that don't know what we're talking about, there was a Dateline episode with Keith Morrison, who I seriously wish he could read me bedtime stories. Sometimes I fall asleep to the Dateline podcast, but the dreams are a little intense afterwards, so I need to quit doing that. He is covering the Idaho murders. I don't think that we're gonna learn a whole lot new, but I think there's just really speculate what was the motive behind this. So I'm interested to watch it today. It did air last night. Um, For you guys listening, it would be last week because we're pre-recording these episodes. But I'm very curious to see if what
1: they're speculating
0: the motive of this could be.
1: I'm curious, too. And I've heard that the family speaks. Oh, that could be wrong. But my mom was texting me about it last night. She like is really getting into true crime. It's kind of adorable.
0: Well, I have written and it is time-stamped with my theory as this case goes on what my theory behind his motive could be. So we will see as he, you know, heads to trial soon. Hope he just pleads guilty and, and saves the family from that, but I doubt it. So we will see as this comes out if I am right and if I truly can put an armchair detective like badge on or something. <laughs> we have the receipts. <laughs> Mid fever. I wrote Annie. It's probably not well written, but I very quickly, my fingers start going. I was like, this is my final thoughts on, on what it could be. And it is all based on speculation. But I have been listening and I would recommend if you guys are true crime listeners or you enjoy true crime books, there is a book called The Cases That Haunted Me by John Douglas. He is the one that Mindhunter is based off of. He created and was part of the team task force that put together the behavioral profile unit for the FBI. And he goes through all of the unsolved cases in history that really stuck with us, like John Bonet, Jack the Ripper, and does a full profile. So after reading that book, not only do I have a very different view on the John Bonet case, which I am definitely going to be covering because my opinion has completely changed since reading his book. But I have decided that I, too, for listening to seven hours or 14 hours or however long that book was, it was very long. I am a professional profiler now. So (laughs) I sent Annie what I thought would be the end result of this case. So we will see if
1: I'm right. I feel like you're going to be right, because even in my episodes, you always can like kind of predict some things. And I'm like, I know you don't know this episode or this case, but
0: here we go. I think it might be an indicator that I have officially consumed too much crime (laughs) content. That could be. These stories are tragic, but to me, it's always interesting. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it's always been the most interesting thing to me to try to pick out the why and like the behaviors that led up to this or the warning signs. But that book, I'll link it in the show notes. It is incredible. He goes, like I said, through Jack the Ripper, the Gordon House mystery. The Lindenberg boy kidnapping, and he puts together like all his lists of like suspects that would be viable for it based on a psychological profile, based on the evidence. It is fascinating. That sounds so good. That is what I have been listening to, why I've been fighting off this stupid, stupid influenza. But I'm going to shut up because my voice is pretty much gone. And I'm going to pass it over to Annie. And Annie, you said you're covering today one of the two cases
1: that really has kind of haunted you. Yes, I've heard this case years ago. And I, I honestly can probably recite it without any kind of note. Like, that's how invested I am. We were part of the Southwest travel nightmare over the holidays, and we were driving through Omaha. We picked up one of my husband's friends, and she asked me about the podcast. And she's like, what's the case that you really can't get out of your head? And I started talking about Amy Lynn Bradley. And so she asked me, have you covered it on the podcast? I want to hear your side. And I'm like, no, I haven't. But that's how today's episode came to be. I'm talking about Amy Lynn Bradley. This is a really, really wild case. I'm convinced Amy is still alive. And it's also the reason I will never go on a cruise. You're not even burying the lead. Okay. (laughs) I get into that pretty quickly, how she, like what happens with her. And then we're going to cover some theories. Okay. But Do you like cruises?
0: I've never been on a cruise. I do love the ocean. I grew up going out on the ocean with my dad, like fishing and we'd camp out for a few days on the boat. A cruise doesn't really appeal to me much in the same way that I think like Bora Bora looks amazing if I had the money to go. But in reality, I'm like, But then I'm just kind of stuck for a certain period of time in in the same area over and over and over. I just don't know if it's my thing. I want to go on vacations where I can go explore like culture and eat different foods. Eh, I'd go with like my grandparents if they wanted me to, but it wouldn't be something I'd sign up for.
1: Fun fact about me, I am such a cruise hater. To me, I hear the word cruise and I think foodborne illness. I can't get it out of my head. I will never go on a cruise. Um, And then hearing this case just reinforced, like, yeah, I'm good. I've heard that cruises have wonderful food. I've heard they have wonderful food. I heard they're super convenient. You can really see parts of a specific area like the Caribbean, which is what I'm going to talk about. But something about it, mm -mm, it reminds me of Golden Corral. If anyone loves Golden Corral, I do apologize. But no, it's not for me. You're not a buffet girl. Okay. We'll never do a case of the Sunday Scaries podcast cruise, I guess. No, or a Golden Corral. But if you do love cruises, I am not here to change your mind. At the very least, I hope that this case just encourages you to be super aware of your surroundings and to never let your guard down. Let's jump in because I really want to talk about the incredible human that Amy Lynn Bradley was. Amy was born in Petersburg, Virginia on May 12th, 1974 to Ron and Iva Bradley. The family then moved to Chesterfield, Virginia, which is where Amy and her little brother, Brad, grew up. Yes, his name was Brad Bradley. And I think that's kind of epic. I was kind of like, wait, what? Make it easy to remember. Truly. Growing up, Amy was described as a very focused, natural leader, and she was an energetic fireball. She was friendly, confident, and very athletic. One of my favorite stories I read about Amy was that she loves to do karaoke, and it was something that her and her friends often did on their weekends. While at their local karaoke bar, she befriended a couple who had disabilities, and the couple later told Amy's mom that Amy always made sure there was a spot at her table with her friends for this couple. Aww. During high school, Amy and Brad were both standout athletes. They both lettered in five varsity sports, which is really hard to do. They have some powerful genes. Of all the sports she played, basketball was her favorite and the one that she excelled in. Not only was Amy really athletic and friendly, but she was also like that cool girl in high school. She had piercings, she had bright blonde hair, and she got her first tattoo her senior year of high school. It was a Tasmanian devil spinning a basketball and she got it on her shoulder. Amy actually had designed this herself. So she's also an artiste. Like, what can this girl not do?
0: Wow, that's a choice to get as a senior. I have a couple of regrettable tattoos myself, Miss
1: Amy. I think every one of my tattoos is regrettable. (laughs) She had multiple scholarship offers and ended up choosing Longwood University, where she was on the basketball team, but also on the swim team. This was about an hour away from where her parents live. So kind of the ideal time frame. You're far enough to where you're not running into your hometown people, but you're close enough where you can always go home. And she was really close with her family. She graduated in 1996, and her graduation present was an English bulldog named Bailey. I've had two English bulldogs, actually three growing up. I love English bulldogs. They have like the really flat noses, such a cute dog, and even a cuter puppy.
0: They are so cute with all their little wrinkles, and they snore, and they like, Mm. well, they kind of sound like me right
1: now, to be honest. That was like spot on what they sound like.
0: Uh, Well, I've felt like an English bulldog the past few days, but they are seriously
1: so stinking cute. The cutest. That's a great present. It is. A year later in 1997, Amy moved into a new apartment and was working at a steakhouse. She was super close with her family. She had a steady boyfriend. She was ready to take on the world. And she also had a few jobs lined up. She was really just crushing life and had a lot to look forward to. In March 1998, Amy's parents called her with some super exciting news. Her dad, Ron, had won a yearly sales contest, and the company was sending Ron and Iva on a week-long, all-expense-paid cruise to the Caribbean. Do you say Caribbean or Caribbean?
0: I say Caribbean.
1: Okay, same. As a gift, the parents wanted Amy and Brad to join them. They offered to buy the kids plane tickets and their spots on the cruises. I'm sure these parents were just super giddy. Their dad won this big prize. They have this amazing trip lined up. They're going to bring the kids on. And it's also important to remember that Amy was at that point in her life where she was kind of becoming an adult. She had a big girl job. She was becoming more independent. And Bradley was close behind her because he was just two years younger. So I think the thought of a family vacation was probably really thrilling to them, especially knowing that their babies aren't babies anymore.
0: Anytime a parent can get their whole family together on what should be, I would think, especially for the moms out there. You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. You're not picking up after everyone. It's all kind of done for you, like signed, sealed with a bow. I
1: get why a cruise would be amazing for a family to take together. And if you're only paying for two out of the four, even better. Absolutely. What's interesting is Amy had a lot of reservations about this trip. She did not like the idea of being on a ship in the middle of the ocean. Same girl. I have that fear. But it's important to keep in mind that she was a really strong swimmer. She was even a lifeguard at one point. So her family was kind of surprised at her reaction and that she had those feelings. But eventually, her brother and parents convinced her that it would be really fun. And after a few days, Amy decided to go. Amy then does what every 23-year-old did in the 90s before a vacation. She hit the tanning bed for like <laughs> two full weeks. She got her nails done. And she even colored her hair brown. I picture Amy in all the stores getting vacation clothes, putting in her PTO at work and getting pumped for this free trip to the Caribbean.
0: I have to interrupt you because this is something that, of course, I'm a, I am don't go tanning because I'm a redhead, but I used to. I don't know what I was thinking. We all do like our pre-vacation rituals, right? Except it never makes any sense to me. And here's why. If you actually think about it, Annie, we spend however much on a vacation and then we spend hundreds of dollars in preparation. For me, it's a spray tan. I want to get a pedicure. I want to get my nails done. And yet we're doing all that for complete strangers that we will never see again. (laughs) Like in our daily life, we're just fine. But then to see random people on a cruise ship, we need to spend
1: hundreds of dollars to like gussy ourselves up. It makes no sense to me. It really doesn't. No, that's so true. Because I am totally like you. I'm like, spray tan, nails done. Roots fixed, eyelashes put on. I want to be looking good and feeling good. Amy's excitement for this trip grew when she found out what kind of ship the cruise was taking place on. It's a Royal Caribbean ship called Rhapsody of the Seas, and the boat was going to depart from San Juan, Puerto Rico, then stop in Aruba, stop in Curaçao, St. Martin, St. Thomas, and then return to Puerto Rico. That is like the ideal Caribbean cruise because of all those awesome islands. But that soft white sand, yeah, and just that Gatorade blue water. On March 21st, 1998, Amy and her family boarded the ship and their vacation began. The trip started off great. Brad, her brother, recalled how much fun Amy was having and how the family was just letting loose and enjoying their time on the water. The boat was like a small city. It held around 400 crew members and 2,000 passengers. That is the size of my city growing up or town.
0: They could
1: put all of Lisa's Lisa's hometown on this this cruise ship. I
0: will never understand the
1: physics of planes or boats. That makes no sense to me how that's even possible. A lot of science. Two days later, on March 23rd, things go horribly wrong. The ship left Aruba and begins heading to Curaçao. Amy and Brad decide to attend a Mardi Gras-themed party at the ship's nightclub the night before the ship is planning on docking at the port. The siblings stayed out late dancing and drinking with the ship's band, Blue Orchard, and there's a photo that shows Amy dancing with one of the band members named Alistair Douglas, aka Yellow. It looks like she's having a great time. So her perception of this trip went from like, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous, I don't want to go, to really just embracing that crew's lifestyle and having such a great time. At 3.33 a.m., Brad heads back to the family cabin, which was recorded by the ship's computerized door lock system. And five minutes later, Amy followed him back. Brad says that he and his sister sat on the balcony to talk before he leaves to go to sleep. It was a private balcony and I've never been on a cruise but it kind of looked like this little cabin, like each family has their own suite if you will. Between 5:15 and 5:30 a.m., Ron the dad wakes up and he notices that Amy was asleep in the lounge chair on their private balcony. Next to her on the table was a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. He let his daughter sleep out there. I'm sure the fresh air was probably amazing and it was just about to be morning where like you get that amazing sunrise over the ocean. So it wasn't anything kind of uncommon for him just to go, I'm going to let her sleep off her, her partiness and I'll wake her up in a little bit. When Ron woke for good around 6 a.m., just 45-ish minutes later, he noticed that Amy was missing from their balcony and their cabin. The cigarettes and lighter were also gone. This was very unlike Amy. She would never just leave and not tell her family where she was going. So it was kind of concerning. Granted, everyone's asleep, so I don't know if I would wake up my family and go, hey, I'm going to step out for a second, if it truly was just going to be a quick little out and back in. But Ron searched the cruise's common area, and he was not able to locate his daughter, so he woke his family up around 6.30 to tell them the news. Amy was gone. The family did a quick search around the cabin to see if anything was missing. They noticed the sliding glass door to the balcony was left partway open, and a pair of Amy's sandals were found in her room along with her ID and the nine other pair of shoes that she had purchased while on the cruise. I put that little detail because this girl's just like living her best life. The situation was immediately reported to the onboard crew and time was of the essence because Rhapsody of the Seas was preparing to dock at Caracos Port that morning. And then everyone gets to go off and do their excursions and stuff. Exactly. So... Picture this boat right off the coast of the island. It was not far at all from where they were planning on docking that day. The Bradleys begged the crew to make a shipwide announcement regarding Amy's disappearance and to keep all 2,000 passengers from leaving the ship until Amy was found so the crew could conduct a massive search of the ship. I know you're shaking your head. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. The crew obviously refused to hold everyone back because at the end of the day, she's 23 years old. It's also everyone else's vacation. You know, you can't say we're not going to let anyone leave. But at the very least, they could have made some kind of announcement. You would think. Hey, everyone, we have a woman named Amy. Her parents aren't able to locate her. Amy, if you can just come to the front desk, that'd be super helpful. something like that. We do it at grocery stores all the
0: time. Like, your child is up at
1: checkout, too. Right. The fear here is that if that ship docks and people leave, If Amy was held against her will, someone could easily sneak her off that ship on an island that they're going to be at for like 24 hours. The crew refused to make any announcements, saying, you know, she was an adult and it was way too early to make that call. They also didn't want to alarm any passengers.
0: Because money always talks, right? And they're selling this family-safe
1: cruise experience. Absolutely. At 7.50 a.m., after most of the passengers had disembarked from the ship, an announcement was finally made requesting that Amy make her way to the purser's desk. There was no response, there was no Amy, and the crew's staff searched the ship between 12.15 p.m. and 1 p.m. The slow and inadequate response from the ship crew is cited as a large reason that there are so few leads in Amy's disappearance. Extensive searches were conducted later on the ship after everyone had left, and the sea around the boat was even searched by the crew and the search produced no signs of her whereabouts. The Bradley family was obviously panicked, and they decided to stay in Curaçao, where they contacted the American Embassy for help. The FBI became involved as well, and the FBI actually learned that a thorough search had not actually been done by the crews, only the common areas were scanned. So the FBI and the family then flew to meet the ship at their next stop so they could really reboard and investigate further. So whenever you think about a cruise ship, there's common areas, but there's also a lot of little nooks and crannies. I feel like an English muffin over here, but a lot of little places
0: that someone could potentially be hiding. And there's how many rooms, enough to fit 2,400
1: passengers and crew? Lots of rooms, lots of closets, lots of private elevators that can only be used by the crew. Just a lot of areas that should have been searched that weren't. The Dutch Caribbean Coast Guard was eventually brought in and they helped the FBI in a four-day search that ended on March 27, 1998. The Coast Guard used three helicopters and a radar plane to assist in their search. Their conclusion was that there was no evidence of foul play and they suspected Amy may have either fallen overboard, been pushed overboard, or committed suicide. How can they
0: say there's no evidence of foul play, but she could have been pushed overboard? That doesn't exactly sound um, friendly. It's conflicting.
1: And I think personally, this theory is very unlikely because Amy is a really good swimmer. She was a lifeguard. That ship was so close to the shore that if she had fallen over, she probably the consensus is she probably could have just swam to shore. Also, people probably would have heard because even though it was super late at night, it was a pop and port area along the coast. So that theory to me, it's not sticking.
0: Except I wonder, though. Could she have survived? Because I don't know where her cabin's located. And like a fall, she's inebriated. We know that much. Like she's had some Mm -hmm. cocktails. A fall from 40 feet, let's say.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. Or
0: above, you could easily die just on impact if you're not, you know, landing properly into the water. Yeah. Or be knocked unconscious or break a leg or whatever the case may be. Like there is
1: not your enemy the higher you go. You can't just be doing belly flops (laughs) off like 40 feet, right? So true. But her body was also never found. And there was three helicopters and a radar plane kind of searching for that. I'm not sure how rough the ocean was. I've been to the Caribbean islands and it's like very soft, close to the shore. But good point. Something like that could have happened and the case could have been closed. But I'm going to give you some theories and some suspects that's going to change your mind.
0: Well, I, I'm already worried because anytime that someone has a AKA, also known as And then it's some ridiculous nickname.
1: I feel like they're already like a nefarious character in my mind. Oh, yes. There's very little information to go off in the investigation. Amy seemed to have vanished into thin air. But after the news broke that Amy was missing, a few people did come forward to tell authorities and the Bradley family things they noticed that might be useful. Two passengers came forward and told Ron that on the morning Amy went missing... A woman matching Amy's description was on the elevator. She had cigarettes and a lighter, and they recall seeing Yellow, that band member from Blue Orchard, and Amy together around 5.30 a.m., leaving the elevator to go back into the club. And these witnesses also say that the two were potentially sharing coffee or some kind of drink together in those early morning hours. Well, that fits with the dad's timeline. Precisely with the dad's timeline. The idea that Amy and Yellow had hung out kind of one-on-one was reconfirmed when that cruise ship video promoter gave the FBI footage he had taken at the nightclub the night before. And it includes Amy dancing and holding hands with Yellow. So it's not shocking to think that maybe they met up that morning for a quick glass of coffee, a little one-on-one time, who knows what. I'm just confused at how this club is still open at six o'clock in the morning. I feel like cruises are like Vegas. People just don't sleep. But I don't know if the club was actually open or if because Yellow was a member of a band. Performed there. He could like get them in, you know, and it's baby quiet and people are cleaning up, whatever. Having like a
0: cigarette and a nightcap after a night party and I get it.
1: Yeah, it's romantic. Yellow denies that he ever saw Amy again after she left the club the prior night before. He later told CNN that, yes, Amy did join the band members for a drink at the Ships Dance Club after the band's performance. He said he parted ways with Amy around 1 a.m., and then headed back to the staff elevator where he went to sleep. He says that she did go off in a different area, but he didn't see where she went. He then recalled that he was awakened in his room at about 6 a.m. by a cruise line manager who asked if Amy was with him. Investigators did a quick search of his room and those of his bandmates later that day, but nothing was found. Isn't that kind of odd? I'm shaking my head already. I'm
0: calling bullshit. Because the dad didn't notice her missing until 6 o'clock in the morning when he woke up and didn't even alert his own family until 6.30.
1: So how are these cruise staff checking his room for Amy? And that is exactly where Brad, her brother, comes into play because no one had known that she was missing until, let's say, 7 a.m. Besides her family. Besides her family. But an odd memory came back to Brad after he heard about Yellow's name being brought back up. He said the morning Amy went missing, Yellow came up to Brad and told him that he was sorry about the disappearance of his sister. This was way before anyone had been notified. The only thing when playing devil's advocate was maybe that cruise ship manager came in earlier than the timelines. Like, it's just an hour difference. But it really stood out to Brad of like, no one knows that she's missing except for you. And it's weird that you're telling me this. Yellow was brought in for questioning. He did pass a polygraph, which I shrug at that. And he was not deemed a person of interest. But there's a lot of, like, he was seen with her last. Well, really, the brother was. That's true. The brother saw her alone. You know, they're having their little drink on the patio, right, of their Mm -hmm. cabin. But then the dad at least saw her sleeping out there alone. So I do feel like Brad went back to bed. Another odd occurrence was recalled by Amy's mom, Iva. This event's pretty chilling. And it happened during dinner on the night of her disappearance. The cruise photographer took photos of all the passengers and then posted them for sale outside of the restaurant. This happens a lot. You have the cool border, you know, the Caribbean island, Rhapsody of the Seas, and the year and right. the family photo. I think we've all seen it if our friends have gone on cruises. Yeah. It's like a, a prom th- photo almost <laughs> with like a funky background. Every single photo that Amy was in was missing from that board. The photographer told the family he precisely remembers printing off those photos and sticking them up there. But to this day, it's unknown who took those photos away from the board or why they were missing. Could the FBI have taken them? No, the FBI never saw them. The only people who really confirmed like, yeah, we had those photos was the family and the photographer was like, yep, I remember you guys. It was right there. It's missing. Oh, this is
0: so creepy. It's like they're trying to erase her before she's even gone missing.
1: That's exactly my thought. And also, that's the most recent photo. anyone has of Amy, it'd be easy for the crews to kind of pass that around and go, this girl's the one that we're looking for. There's a theory from the Bradley family. And this kind of is what I'm totally on board with. The Bradleys believe that Amy's kidnapping was the result of a well-planned and organized group effort that included several people on the ship. And they they think this way because of how the staff acted towards Amy. It was believed that from day one, she was pinpoint and targeted and that she was selected. Aruba was the first stop I talked about earlier, and the Bradleys spent the day touring the island. They then returned to Rhapsody of the Seas for dinner, and this was when one of the waiters asked Ron if Amy could go with them back out to Aruba to a bar known as Carlos and Charlie's. Amy didn't even need her dad to speak up. She declined because she didn't feel comfortable about the waiter. She even said that he was creepy. He had been overly attentive to Amy And Ron actually expressed concerns that the waiter was attempting to fraternize with Amy and kind of get her alone and private. After Amy disappeared, the FBI interviewed the Portuguese waiter, who quickly flipped the script and tried to turn it on the family. I'm not going to really get into those details because personally, there's no way that her mom pushed her overboard, which is what the waiter was insinuating. He's like, well, I heard her mom asking me how to push someone off a balcony. So this guy is just like sleazy. That doesn't even
0: make sense. You just push them.
1: I have to pause here and add a little bit more mystery to this case because another well-known woman from America was also seen at Carlos and Charlie's, Natalie Holloway. I find it odd that both of these disappearances have one common denominator, which is this restaurant. In Aruba, right? In Aruba. Amy never actually went to the restaurant. She quickly declined that, but it stood out to me. But that's where the server asked her to go? Yeah, he wanted to take her there. And that's also where Natalie had been confirmed to be before she disappeared. Another witness came forward while this big investigation was going off. It was a cab driver on Curacao, and he said that someone matching the description of Amy had approached him that morning. According to the driver, the woman was urgently asking for a phone. The authorities could never confirm this sighting, and the lead fizzled out. Not sure how credible it is, but it does confirm that she had made it to the island somehow, and that she was kind of frantically asking for a phone. My brain is really going here. (laughs) The leads and supposed sightings would continue to come in throughout the months. In August 1998, five months after Amy was last seen, a Canadian tourist was absolutely positive that he saw someone who matched her description perfectly. The tourist said that him and his family were in Curacao when they spotted a woman walking along the beach with two men. Because Amy's case was broadcasted far and wide, people had a description of her, and this tourist said the woman resembled Amy, including the tattoo she had. He confirmed that the woman had a lizard tattoo around her navel, a Chinese symbol on her ankle, a sun across her back, and that Tasmanian devil tattoo on her shoulder, which is very unique.
0: Yeah, the rest of them are kind of a sign of the mm-hmm. time, I feel like. For sure. But that one would not be as common, especially to have on like your bicep as a female. The one
1: thing that stood out to this tourist was how the lady was behaving. Apparently, Amy was constantly trying to get this man's attention, but he lost sight of the woman at a nearby cafe.
0: man that she was with trying to get his attention? or She the man was trying to get the Canadian
1: tourist's attention. Like walking with these two bodyguard type men, kind of trying to maybe wave behind her back or do something to get this man's attention. And he noticed it, but then after she passed a cafe, he lost the sight of her. The next sighting came a full year later, and this lead came from a U.S. Navy petty officer who spoke about potentially seeing Amy. During my research, I found some different words for this establishment. Some call it a fallout brothel. Others call it a hotel. But the information I'm going to quote is directly off of amybradleyismissing.com, which in my opinion is probably the most reliable source. This officer went on to say that in January of 1999, he went into the Stellaris Hotel in the Banda area of Wilmstead in Curaçao. The Stellaris Hotel was located directly across the street from where cruise ships dock, so really close to where Amy potentially could have been shuffled off the boat. The hotel was off-limits to U.S. personnel because of its bad reputation. So I definitely get a little brothel vibes from this. The officer was sitting in the bar area, and he noticed two women sitting together at a table. One woman was Caucasian, and the other was Hispanic the Caucasian woman walked over to him and told him that her name was Amy Bradley and that she needed help. The officer did not recognize that she was a missing person at the time, but he did recognize that she was an American. He suggested that she go out of the Solaris Hotel, walk across that short little jaunt and go, go up to the cruise ship that was docked just five minutes away. Amy made another attempt to help him understand, no, you, you don't get it. My name is Amy Bradley and I need help. Two men then approached Amy and sent her upstairs. The officer did not report that he had seen Amy in the hotel. One minute detail is that he was married at the time. Once again, that's giving me the view that this was a brothel and that he wasn't supposed to be there, which did come out. He was not supposed to be there.
0: Well, and this is implying that Amy is being sex trafficked. One hundred percent.
1: He didn't realize who this woman was until years later when her face was on the cover of the 2001 July edition of People magazine. He then came forward and said, oh, my gosh, I've actually seen her in Curacao. She mentioned her her name was Amy. He goes to authorities. But in May of 2000, that hotel slash brothel had been burned down and there was nothing left of it.
0: Okay, and here's why I'm giving this a little bit more credit than some of the other sightings. I understand why he didn't recognize her. I I don't remember names. I can remember faces pretty well, but then you see it. But the fact that he saw her face years later, either one, he's a liar, mm-hmm. or two, and he doesn't have much to gain from this lie, is a lot to lose, right? Because his wife is going to find out, hey, you were at this shady place where people are known to get off the cruise ships and hook up with the women there. So he doesn't have anything to gain in that perspective. But the other thing I'm noticing is that if he's seen her face years later, it had to have been an alarming enough encounter that he would remember someone's face he saw for just seconds for all of that time. So that to me gives a little bit more credibility to it, that he had nothing seemingly to gain, a lot to lose from coming forward. And that her asking him for help or trying to express who she is and like creating this air of like, help me, help me, help me must have come off to him believable enough and desperate enough that he would remember her face after all those years.
1: Absolutely. And the fact that he said she was an American, she could speak English. And whenever he said, just go to the ship dock, it's right there. She's like, you don't understand. I need help. I just feel the urgency in her voice and probably the hope she felt seeing, okay, here's a guy who can understand me. I can go up to him. Maybe he knows my name. Maybe he knows I'm missing, but she didn't get any help from him. And then whenever he does come forward, the brothel flash hotel has been burned down. So there's no way to go back there and see if she's still there. Many have criticized him for potentially withholding information that could have led to Amy, which it's me. I'm the one criticizing you. I'm not. I'm
0: not because you and I have a true crime podcast. (laughs) We know a lot about these cases. We might be a little bit more invested than others. But like someone like my mom who doesn't consume true crime content. She wouldn't know who Amy Bradley is, like unless it was a John Bonet style case where every newscast had it going twenty four seven. How would you recognize someone, and especially after all that time? Like, who knows what she looked like when he saw her?
1: That's very true. I just feel like if someone came up to me and was like, I need help. I mean, I don't know. I definitely would be scared. You're in a brothel. In a different country. (laughs) But he might just not have recognized her to be her, though. So I don't want to bash him for that. And he definitely didn't because he didn't even see a face of her until 2001. So that checks out. The years continued to pass and the Bradley family grew more and more frustrated because they felt like nothing more was being done to find their daughter. That didn't stop people from looking for Amy as they went to Curacao and kind of the Caribbean area. And this is when a woman named Judy comes forward. She had an interaction with someone who may have been Amy in 2005, seven years after Amy went missing. And this quickly became the next best lead investigators had. Judy says that she was in a restroom at a department store in Barbados. Barbados is along the Strand of Islands, close to Curacao. I looked it up, and it's about an hour and 45 minute flight. And something unusual happened. Judy was in the bathroom and a woman entered with three men. The thing that stood out to Julie was how one man allegedly told this mystery woman that she had to follow through with the deal or there would be consequences. I don't know about you, but if I heard that in a bathroom stall, I'd be like, wait, what? Like my ears would immediately perk up.
0: Let's go and like rewind a second. I would be alarmed if I was having a little tinkle in the woman's bathroom. And three men walked in with a woman. Miss- that would be my <laughs> yeah. first alarming moment as I'd be like, excuse me, what are you doing in here? Agree, agree. And that's <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of men for one woman to be with in a woman's bathroom. And at this time, I don't think unisex bathrooms are really all that popular. So I'm assuming this is the female bathroom. Correct. So- that's already alarming, and then, yeah, you're just sitting there having a little tinkle like doing your thing, and then you hear you have to help us with this deal. I would be I would literally i'm picturing myself just cr- like sitting on a toilet, which I never do. I have a weird thing about public toilet, like sitting on the toilet and pulling my legs up and just like huddle into myself like nobody's here <laughs> right. and then
1: like <laughs> I would dramatically fall on the toilet and be like, so sorry, <laughs> but I kind of picture like this was a bigger bathroom area with some stalls because Judy waited until the men left and were out of earshot. And she asked this woman, you know, are you okay? Do you need any help? This woman turned to Judy and said, my name's Amy and I'm originally from Virginia. But as soon as that conversation was starting, the men quickly returned and they whisked the woman off. My guess is in the heat of the moment, they didn't realize someone else was in there. They left in this fury and they were like, oh shit, there's someone in there. What if Okay, so maybe this isn't just a women's bathroom. Maybe this is like a shared
0: washroom area and then you have the toilet area. It could That be. would make sense. Yeah. But that's a weird choice, though, for this girl to say, if her answer, do you need help? Yes, would be a quicker answer.
1: And I'm sure she did. But she also confirmed her identity to this woman. I see. Okay. After this happened, Judy worked with a forensic artist to create sketches of the three men and the woman. And Elise, I texted you a photo of the woman. I want you to look at that kind of sketch and tell me that it doesn't look like Amy.
0: Yeah, the hair is certainly grown out and stuff, but she nailed the facial features. Tiny little button nose, the eyebrows are kind of similar. She definitely nailed like the cheek and chin structure. So I'd say, yeah, all the facial features are definitely there. Yeah. And she does look a little older. She does. As she would seven years later.
1: Elise talked about her hair. Whenever Amy went on the cruise line ship, she had like a short little pixie cut. And the sketch has kind of long, unkempt hair. It looks like an 80s rock band
0: haircut, to be honest. It looks like something like Vince Neil would. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a good <laughs> way to put it. So we have this uh, alleged confirmed sighting. It's kind of going on with all these other alleged confirmed sightings. But Nothing really happens because the FBI can never get to the islands quick enough. I just know that it gave the family a little bit of hope that she was still alive. Over the years, the Bradley family appeared on a host of shows and in media outlets to keep the word talking about the disappearance of their daughter when some hope was finally given to the family. A few years after she went missing, a man named Frank Jones emailed the Bradleys and explained that he was a former U.S. Army Specialist Officer and he now worked as a Navy SEAL soldier. Frank went on to explain that he had a team of experienced experts, and there was a really good chance that they could all work together to bring Amy home. He also claimed to know where Amy was. The family finally sees this light at the end of the tunnel. The news gave them hope, and this Frank character seemed to be really trustworthy. I mean, he obviously is a strong man with some strong connections, right? He is a supposed U.S. Navy SEAL soldier. And he's had eyes on Amy.
0: No, this is already so suspicious to me. This seems like someone that is like, we can help, we can this. No, just tell me where she is if you're actually trying to help.
1: I'm, he's already sus. Agree. He did some things to further his credibility though. One thing he spoke about was how he knew the lullaby Amy's mom used to sing to her as a baby. And I don't think this was public knowledge. So, the Bradleys explained later, like, that was all the proof we needed to believe this guy and believe that he had actually spoken with Amy. They're thinking maybe she is not a brothel and he met up with her and she pleaded, hi, I'm Amy from Virginia, like she had so many times before. But he knew in that moment it wasn't safe to get her out. So he made this elaborate plan. That's kind of what they're thinking. He gave a description of her tattoos, which everyone knew about her tattoos. So that's not really something that I would put too much weight into. But he said that Amy was being held in a housing complex surrounded by barbed wire and heavily guarded by Colombian personnel. So he's really building this story up. Like, I've seen her. I've talked with her. She told me a lullaby that you sang to her. Iva, isn't this right? And I was like, oh, my God, that's our daughter. The Bradley family was determined to give Frank Jones their best shot, especially since he continued to feed them information about their daughter for the next few months. How much money did he ask for? In total... The family gave him $210,000 for this mission that he was supposedly doing on. He would come back and say, yes, we just, we see her right now. It's not super safe to go in there. Um, I just need a little bit more funds to to live on this island and kind of monitor the situation. They believed him. Of course. They were in such a vulnerable position.
0: Of course. They're completely vulnerable. And people like this are. Scum. Just as bad as if she was taken in sex trafficking. Like. You are just as bad if you involve yourself in a case. If you take advantage of people at their most vulnerable time,
1: shame on you. Absolute shame on you. People are awful. I didn't trust Frank at all. No. And what's sad is he came forward in the fall. Um, so for months, the Bradleys believed their daughter was coming home. Think about all those special holidays. You have Thanksgiving, you have Christmas, then you have New Year's. I bet every holiday they were like, this will be the one that she comes home with. Frank is confirming this. And $210,000 back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, is a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. It is. Just to figure out that, dun, 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 dun Frank had been lying. In fact, Frank had fabricated everything he had ever told them about spotting Amy. He was not working on, it, on any kind of mission to bring her home. He was just basically stealing their money. It was all a scam.
0: So this guy's just sitting in his mama's basement writing these emails, leading this family on. And
1: oh, what a piece of absolute shit. He really is. In February of 2002, Frank did get what he deserved. He was actually charged by federal prosecutors for defrauding the Bradley family, along with defrauding the National Missing Children's Organization, because they also gave him money. It was like a very elaborate scheme. Right. Because a lot of times when someone's
0: missing, there's a reward not just by the family, but you're right. Other organizations that are like, hey, tips leading to, you know, their capture or their body, whatever the case might be. And so that's money he's taking away from other missing people and like the search for them.
1: Terrible Is guy. his real name Frank? <laughs> yeah, it is. Frank, you suck. Frank sucks. He, ple- he pleaded guilty to mail fraud and was given a small five-year sentence. Did he have to pay the money back? I don't know. Well, I hope he did. Yeah, I hope he did too. But he probably spent it on who knows what. An Xbox. (laughs) Almost eight years passed before Ron and Iva appeared on the talk show, Dr. Phil. And here they showed the world a photo of this woman. And this photo had been emailed to them by someone whose main goal was to find sex workers in other countries who happen to be American and tie them back to families a very specific area of interest but this person is not a scummy scam artist like Frank this person sent them a photo and this photo was found on a website i want you to look at it like a like a sex services website exactly this woman is named Jazz um and it is a sex service website but similar to that sketch it looks so much like Amy yes a little bit older I'm sure she's seen some horrible things and been through some horrible experiences, but it looks like Amy.
0: You know what I'm noticing immediately Mm -hmm. is the haircut is the exact same as that sketch that woman did. The exact same. This is years later. Like, I hate to say it, but... How I describe like mall bangs, where like there's a couple wisps going down on each side and that's fluffed up on top, a very kind of 80s style. She has a very heavy makeup on. Uh, yeah, that looks like her. It's to me, it's all like, yes, she looks a little bit weathered. Let's put a, you know, a nice ish spin on it, which she would be if she was in, you know, some sort of sex trafficking ring. She looks older. Skin looks, you know, a little bit more wrinkles, all that kind of stuff. But her bone structure and especially the nose and chin. And
1: the cheekbones. Like she has
0: very distinctive a uh,
1: facial structure.
0: Yeah. Amy has very pronounced cheekbones. Mm-hmm. I would believe it if you told me that was, you know, 20 years apart and 10 packs of cigarettes. Oh, yeah. And she smokes
1: cigarettes. So really, that could be her skin. And I also kind of suspect that in these brothels... There is some drug use going on, not anything she probably wanted to partake in, but for control. Yeah. And I've seen Taken. Like, I know Taken is not a credible movie to watch, but I (laughs) feel like there is some sources of truth to that. Like, they kidnap these women, they give them really hard drugs, they get addicted to the drugs. It's a sense of control, just like you said.
0: Yeah, it's control. And then also they get addicted. They're going to have to get more of it.
1: And how do you get more of it? You work and you stick around without someone needing constant eyes on you. So this picture is shown to the world and nothing really happens. Probably is her. But at this point, we think about how big the Caribbean island strand is. Who knows where she is? In 2010, a human jawbone washed up on a beach in Aruba. This was the area where Natalie disappeared just five years earlier in 2005 and just seven years after Amy had disappeared. So authorities immediately assumed it was Natalie's at first, not Amy's. DNA tests were ran and it was not a match to Natalie. But it was determined that it was likely from a human of Caucasian origin. To this day, there's never been any more testing done. No one knows who the jawbone belonged to because authorities never did testing. Wait, wait,
0: you covered DNA and kind of the timeline of when it got created. So I understand this is like the earlier days. However, you would think that the parents. Oh, shoot. She didn't live with her parents. Amy didn't live with her parents prior to this. But we talk about DNA so
1: much where they could have at least been like, okay, your mom's a 50% match to this jawbone. What I'm wondering is because it's in Aruba, I wonder if they can't get it back to the United States or Mm. if the Arubian authorities lost it. Because if you know this is Amy Lynn's Bradley found on your beaches, I mean, that just makes it, to your point earlier, terrifying for anyone to want to go over there.
0: Yeah, that would be... Concerning for a lot of like tourist boards, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, because both women disappeared on these amazing vacations. Natalie's was in spring break. Amy was on a supposedly safe cruise under the Royal Caribbean umbrella of all places. Like, but to this day, Amy Lynn Bradley's whereabouts remain unknown. On March 24th, 2010, exactly 12 years after Amy went missing, the family did have Amy legally declared dead. They have not given up hope by any means, but they have been through a family's worst nightmare. And I think to them, this was just a really small sense of closure. Heartbreaking case.
0: Okay, so your theory from what you presented, I'm assuming is that she was somehow snuck off, got into a sex trafficking ring of some sort.
1: I think what sticks out to me with all of these people coming forward and saying it was the morning she went missing, how her and Yellow were supposedly sharing a drink. That stood out to me. I wonder if it was roofied or something, because there's no way that they could get her quietly off that ship unless something had been done to her.
0: Well, and she clearly was partying to all hours the night, which is not her fault. That's what she's supposed to be doing on vacation. So don't misread Mm -hmm. what I'm saying here, listeners. But she might have been, you know, her dad saw her like kind of passed out. She might have been quite inebriated. We don't know. Man, I have a couple tequilas. And you can tell me to do all sorts of things because your inhibitions are down. Like if she's interested, she's seen holding hands with yellow, which is a stupid nickname. <laughs> but she's seen holding hands with him. If she gets in touch with him that morning, he's like, Oh, I'm gonna show you the most beautiful spot on the island, babe. Well, I would be like, Okay. It's a right. <laughs> it's a fun you're not idea. Thinking how you normally would and you're thinking like I'm gonna have this amazing vacation story to gossip about my girlfriends with. You wouldn't necessarily need to be drugged. You'd be like, OK, my parents will never know. Like, let's keep in mind this is a young woman who's out partying, having a great time, having her little 5 a.m. cigarette. My goodness. She had to, I would assume, be partying pretty good to
1: still be up at five o'clock in the morning. Agree. And I think the fact that I always come back to is how Iva and Ron just felt like she was being targeted from the very beginning, from day one on that cruise. People were acting, giving her a lot of attention. People were acting odd to her, wanting to take her off the ship. And then it comes back and it's like, well, she did get off the ship. Someone took her. I do not believe that she fell overboard because there's no body found. I do not believe she committed suicide. And I have no inclination that her family had anything to do with her disappearance. I think she was sex trafficked too. And I know mental health is a slippery slope and -hmm. I'm not trying to act like I could diagnose her or anything like that. But She was excited. I mean, she, you know, had her whole life ahead of her. It seems like she had her little puppy to go back to, which at that point was probably a full-grown bulldog. Whole hefty Mm -hmm. thing. But it doesn't make any sense. And I really think that the morning she left her cabin willingly, met up with someone who had bad intentions, and then was shuffled off the boat to Curacao. And that's where she could still be alive. So you think
0: it was like almost like a ring on there? I spotted a girl that I think the Horrible people that partake in these sex rings would enjoy, pass the information along. Let's
1: get her a little drunk. Let's get her a little drugged, potentially. Let's give her some attention. Make her feel really good about herself. Get her to trust me. I absolutely think that's what happened. And I know that Yellow has been not deemed a person of interest anymore. And I'm not saying he specifically did it, but I think it's interesting. A lot of stuff is just interesting to me that regards allegedly. him. Yeah, allegedly that that regards him. Supposedly, don't, don't sue, sue.
0: Us. But you can sue me for saying your nickname is stupid because it is. That's interesting. I wonder, I don't know what I think about this one. Again, like we can't ever assume anyone's mental health. Like, oh my God, like the Twitch. He just seemed like the happiest man in the world. And then, you know, the whole world seems to be mourning him now. So you can never really assume what's going on in someone else's brain and what they portray to the outside. But I'm going to side with you on this, that it seems a little bit out of character. And also that would be... An interesting choice for her to make at that specific time with her family knowing how disruptive that would be and it doesn't seem like this family had a lot of turmoil where she would want to cause an, that of course like suicide in itself is upsetting but to be causing the extra added like search for her and all that stuff that that seems it doesn't seem to like hit right in my gut these pictures are very interesting I don't know. I'm kind of, I think I'm with you that like, who knows what where she's at now or, you know, I hope that she's doing okay.
1: But yeah, those pictures are alarmingly similar. And all of the people coming forward saying like, she said her name was Amy. What To your point earlier, what do they have to gain? They're not getting money for it. They're not getting notoriety. They're just coming forward and saying... This woman came up to me and she was acting really weird and said her name's Amy from Virginia. I get that this was a very highly broadcasted case, so people probably knew the name. But unless you're Frank, you're not like finding pleasure and causing pain on someone's family.
0: Yeah, F. Frank, he's the worst. I've got to look into this one. I mean, I know you covered it pretty darn extensively, but now I'm like,
1: where is it she? It has stuck with me for years, Elise. I heard this probably when I was in college and I cannot get this case out of my head. I also can't help but think she's still alive. And I'm like, if anyone's going to Curacao or Aruba, like, I don't know, just keep your eyes open for her, you know, and do do the right thing. If someone comes up to me and it's like, my name is Amy from Virginia. I'm also an American. I don't know. I would try to do something. I don't know what you can do. Well, if
0: someone asks you to help, there's uh, yes, you can report it, but there's a lot of distrust when it comes to going to foreign countries and their Police force and stuff. I get, I can empathize mm-hmm. with all these people being like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. She was just this lady. And like, I don't know, I'm not even supposed to be at the brothel anyway. And now, I, what am I supposed to do? Report to my wife, like, hey, we got to do something. Cause sorry to tell you this, wife, I was at a brothel last night and one of the working ladies came up to me and told me, you know, that she needed help. I can kind of, you know, put myself in all these people's shoes of like, well, what do you want me to do about it? Like, you can't fit in my backpack and I'm going to walk you past these three huge burly men outside of this restroom.
1: Yeah, the bodyguards would definitely sketch me out because, I don't know, I just picture like these huge massive muscle men just like I wouldn't want to mess with that.
0: Whatever happened to her, I just cannot fathom. Like missing people, I think this is why it affects me so much when we cover cold cases is I just immediately go to the mindset of something I cannot and hopefully, truly hopefully will never understand is going to bed at night not knowing where your child is, is something I cannot emotionally or mentally wrap my head around. Like such simple things as I'm drinking a a cup of tea right now and thinking, my daughter can't have this cup of tea. Like every little thing that you do, you would be wondering what is happening to them. It's awful. Are they being hurt? Are they alive? Like, oh, it just, that's why I hate missing persons cases because even if
1: it's a bad answer, I feel like I want all these families to know. I could not agree more. And even though they had her legally declared dead, they're still looking. They're still hoping. I think that was kind of trying to put a, a little piece of closure on it. But they're such a they seem like such an amazing family, like the best parents, the best brother. They just want her back.
0: Oh, that is so heartbreaking. And I'm I have to say, too, it's a disappointing. I've heard of other cruise ships of people going missing or some like real sketch stuff going on. And maybe if you guys like this case, maybe we'll do a whole like cruise series because there's a lot of of things that go awry on cruise ships that I've heard about. But I'm always just so discouraged by how money comes before, business comes before finding these people. And it seems like, yes, we're out at sea. And I know there's all sorts of weird like sea time rules or whatever, you know, but it still makes me frustrated that human life is not. Respected enough that all other things are put aside in order to do everybody like due diligence to find this person or to investigate it. It's like, oh no, we're business as usual, and that's one thing I I feel like I is a constant running theme with all of these cruise ships is that they're just not doing enough, or at least they're not doing enough when it would have been helpful for them to do it. I agree. So no cruise ships for us. No, none. We're staying on land. You'll be seeing us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not because I want to go back this summer and go fishing, but I don't think my dad's throwing me overboard anytime so. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for covering that. I'm going to be right along with you and haunted by this case. And now I'm going to go watch probably like 15 documentaries about it and try to form my own opinion. But let us know what you guys think. Where do you think Amy is now after hearing this case? Have you heard any other stuff that we didn't cover? Any theories that you might have? Let us know on Instagram. I will be back next week with Annie. We are doing a interview that I'm really, truly looking forward to with Dr. Kirk Honda, someone I have the utmost respect for. And we'll be continuing our series about interpartner uh, abuse with a focus on harassment and stalking. So as always, until then.